are standing. You can find it on page 752 in the Red Bible or follow along on the screen, screen, John 4 through 115. The, the fairness, Pharisees had, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, now he had to go through Samara, so he came, came to a town in Samara called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had been had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried as he was, tired as he was, from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as he also did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. All that stuff about water. I've been warned about water. Be careful what I drink in Jamaica, but I found out there's a little gizmo you can get that uh, you can do about 32 ounces by sticking it in this little thing, and it has a battery, and it does something to it, and makes it good. So, Water. I think it's, uh, it's fascinating we're talking about that. Well, I wanted to take a, a look at this passage in, in light of where Lindy and I are going and, and to think through this just a little bit more. Um, the story that 
that Gordon and Sally read to you is, is basically a, a narrative of, of Jesus uh, separating from his disciples for a, a few hours, but on his way back to Galilee. And from Jerusalem to Galilee, where, his, uh, where he was going, there are two or three routes. There's a, there's a shortcut, and then there's the long way around. When's the last time you tried the shortcut and it ended up being the long way around? You know what I mean. I know I can get there. And, and that GPS thing that you all have, you're so, it's so cool, all of you techie people, I even have one of those things. It can lead you to the correct place, and sometimes it leads you to nowhere land. Uh, it, it can tell you to go somewhere, and it doesn't even know where it is. And that woman isn't always right. Turn right at the next. Oh, there may not be a next. And, of course, then there might be a SIG alert. And uh, there's a variety of things. But in our story... Uh, Jesus was taking the shortest route through a place called Samaria. And the reason that uh, this is so significant in our story is for twofold. One is uh, the Pharisees were getting, uh, they were getting real upset with this, with this guy, Jesus. They kept thinking he was baptizing people, and he wasn't. John the Baptist was. Now, baptism in the Jewish faith was a ritual of uh, purification, and when a person kind of converted into Judaism and things like that, they got baptized. I mean, it was a, it was a special deal, just like it is for us Christians today. But uh, they were afraid that he was baptizing, and then they were fearful of this, of this guy. And he was early on. Jesus was very early on in his ministry. He'd done that water-to-wine thing. He'd done a couple of things, but not much. He's coming off of 40 days of fasting in the wilderness and duking it out with the devil. So he'd been in this big brawl, fighting with with Satan out there, doing all this stuff out there, sweating it out, and uh, having nothing to drink and nothing to eat, and literally going through this tremendous uh, fast period of time. So his body is just ravaged with uh, all of his extra protein and all of his fat and everything is pretty much uh, dissipated, and he is now trying to regain some of that. So the six-hour walk from Jerusalem down to Samaria was quite a walk and quite an effort. So kind of get that setting. So he decides with his disciples to cut through, and let's get to Galilee as fast as we can. Six hours into the day, we've been walking, we've got to get there by nightfall. So they go uh, into this town called Samaria. The second reason why uh, probably he went there uh, is not only was it the shortcut, but of course the Pharisees, they probably wouldn't go there because the Pharisees thought these Samaritans were like dogs. They considered them the lowest. Now, in most countries, other than ours, dogs don't have a very high uh, status in the, in the food chain. Matter of fact, it is food chain in many uh, countries. Uh, around here, it's not food chain. They're expensive little luxuries. <laughs> and, and Sister Sue is going to take care of our expensive little luxury when we're gone. Uh, but it, Americans don't understand uh, when a, one is considered a dog. And in that culture, that was a common term for people that were of, of much lower uh, status, social status. And uh, the Samaritans were dogs. They were half-breeds. They were not pure. They were not uh, of the uh, uh, accepted group. So you didn't really want to be seen with them. You might be identified with them, and thus you'd have another problem. So that was kind of the story. So probably the other reason was if I cut through Samaria, the Pharisees won't be following me, and uh, I can get away with it without getting caught. So Jesus recognized the, the, uh, these guys were after him, and, 
And uh, they, ultimately, of course, they, they would catch him and all of that would happen. He'd be crucified. So that's probably what was happening. Um, orthodoxy, or what we might call uh, the historical truth of God, is very important. But we add things to it. And when we add things to it, it becomes very dangerous. Uh, the essence of the gospel is plenty enough for us to try to get a hold of. <laughs> the, 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 the message of Jesus is, is overwhelmingly uh, difficult to put your arms around. It's so broad, it's so great. But then, you know, what we love to do is we like to add to it. What can we add to it? And so we get all these books, and we have these books of discipline, and we have doctrinal views, and we have theologians that want to add to it or take away, and we're having big, big arguments in seminaries now about uh, various uh, uh, lifestyle questions, and all these things are coming up, and we add to it. Well, that's what had happened in those days. The, uh, the Jews had added so many things to what was a basic lifestyle that God had called them to. And it was becoming very complicated. And anybody that veered just a hair off of that very narrow road was, uh, was ostracized. Well, that's what happened. These Samaritans, they just couldn't do it. They, they messed up on some stuff. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews, they, they still believed that Moses was their big prophet. I mean, they got, they got that part. They got all that stuff right. So they, they worshiped the true and only God, but then they added a few things, and here's where it really got messy. It really got messy. <laughs> Think about this. It really got messy, not because they were worshiping the same God. It got messy when the Samaritans built their own church in their own town. And the Orthodox folks didn't have anything to do with it. And they put that church right there in their own town. That's when it got messy. Because the control of Jerusalem no longer was over Samaria. The Pharisees no longer could speak into the Samaritans or take up their temple taxes or their tithes or their offerings or any other matter of control. The Samaritans worshipped in that place. And that's where it got to be difficult. Isn't that the truth? You know, you know, as long as we're just worshiping God and having a great time, we're all fine. But then someone comes along and says, well, you know, uh, you need to do it our way. Well, then we break off and we create another one. There's an interesting uh, idea that's being floated around in, in the Wesleyan denomination, which is fascinating, is uh, to consider... Uh, developing a new denomination, a holiness denomination for the 21st century that might be a collection of several of our like-minded groups. And there's some conversation going on. Uh, that isn't what normally happens. Usually we separate even farther as time goes on from each other. But there is a little bit of that kind of going on, and I think that uh, some leadership uh, in that might be worthy. But in those days, they were separate. That was the problem, and that was threatening. So Jesus goes through this little town, and he's so tired. He sits down by this well, probably under a shade tree. The, the English doesn't do it right when it says he was weary and tired and thirsty. And uh, it really meant that he sat down, and he looked tired, and he looked drained, and he looked thirsty. So, and so he probably just kind of collapsed underneath a tree close to this little well in, in this little village. And that's probably what uh, 
what had happened. And about that time, uh, he noted that there was a woman walking down the path towards the well. And the woman was alone, and she had a pot on her head uh, to carry water, which was common in the day. And uh, she was coming towards Jesus, and Jesus may have seen her before she saw him. So that's kind of how this whole thing sets up and, uh, and how it occurred. Well, she comes to him, and he has this encounter that was read to you in the scripture this morning. And um, she, Jesus uh, then, uh, without regard to the division that they had in their cultural differences, he broke the cultural norm, he crossed the line, and he spoke to a woman. Do you know that in some of the Muslim countries, for a, a man to speak to a woman in a public place is not acceptable? Some of these characteristics carry on today. And certainly for a rabbi of Jewish orthodoxy to speak to a, a dog Samaritan woman would not be acceptable. Now, you've got to get the other side of the picture. You know that if she came in the middle of the day, there was nobody with her. Why did she come alone? There's a lot of conjecture about that, but very likely she was a prostitute. And if she was a prostitute, she was a woman who knew men well. So she came with her pot. There's Jesus rabbi. There's woman with all of the life that she had lived and some, some awareness of, of connecting to people, and she's walking up. And then Jesus speaks to her, and she probably interprets that as, oh, He's interested in me. You know, sir, what do you want? That isn't the first time she was asked that question. Not the last time she was asked that question. She'd been asked that question a lot, and a lot of times she was able to provide what that need was or what that request was, because the story tells us that. But Jesus decided to cross the barrier. And the first feeling you have is barriers existed in Samaria. But barriers exist today in all of our areas, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our communities, in our country. We have barriers. What are those barriers? Well, we got a little bit of the Samaritan story, but what are the barriers today? Um, There are many. Uh, With now grandchildren in elementary school, I hear about more about Bullying. Some children bullying other children. Well, I remember that as a kid, being bullied or bullying others. I I mean, this is a common thing among kids. And I remember that's a barrier. Who would cross the barrier and speak for the one being abused or spoken ill of? That's a barrier. Sometimes it's the mocking of a student that may be effeminate or maybe a gay student even to the point of their murder, which is now occurring on occasion. Things like that are occurring, where there's barriers that will not be crossed, and there's acceptance of a per- as for the value of a person, and we look at the exterior and judge them, and sometimes it's even become quite hostile and even life-threatening. Uh, the barrier of, not, of crossing the street rather than walking by a homeless person. There's two reasons. One, you know they're going to ask you for money, and secondly their deodorant is not working. So we got, you know, why do I want to go by that guy? I know what he's going to do. He's going to ask for money. They all do. 
I mean, there's, we, there, we create these barriers, and they're there, and we walk, the other we choose to walk across the street. Jesus decided to go straight on into the city and not worry about those barriers. It's fascinating uh, why Jesus came and his whole purpose of coming. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, in, in reference to one of the questions that was asked him, he said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, his whole purpose of coming was to break down the barriers, was to cross the street to people rather than from people. And that's what Jesus was about to do. So he had to go through Samaria. And, and that's in the text. If you, look at that, uh, if you look at that fourth verse of our text in John 4, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. And uh, he was prompted to do that. It was essential that he do that. And so he did. It was an arid land. He was tired. He was thirsty. And he needed to rest. But he had to go there. And... Usually, when we're very, very tired, we don't want to chat with someone. You know what I mean? Get on that airplane or on a bus or you're sitting in a restaurant and you're so tired. Maybe you're grabbing that, that in and out and you're just sitting there in the little restaurant. And you just want to eat this thing and get home. And then someone wants to talk. They want to chat. How are you? Fine, thank you. You don't even ask how they are. Well, how's your day going? Quite well, thank you. Isn't it interesting how when we're very tired, we don't want conversation, we don't want to connect with someone, we don't want to ask how they are because we're afraid they'll tell us. You know, how are you? I really don't mean it. Just how are you? That's all. Don't tell me. That's fascinating about us. And especially when we're tired. Jesus was very tired. And probably he didn't really want to have this conversation with this woman about history and had Jacob and Joseph and Wells and worshiping on this mountain and what we have in common with the Jews and what we don't have in common with the Jews and all this long theological conversation he he wasn't interested he was tired and we get that way we get tired but I'll tell you this sometimes at the times when we're most tired that may be one of the best encounters with another person you'll have. It just may be. It happens oftentimes at our lowest point. And just as Jesus expressed later in the chapter, because what we have is we're out of water. We don't have the freshness of the water, but there's a living water that comes our way. The living water is what the Holy Spirit brings and gives us the strength to go on. I mean, how many times has it been that you've been at the end of your rope and you've done your best stuff? I mean, think about that. One thing that comes to my mind that just haunts me from time to time is when I was in City of Hope and I was at a low, low, low point, and I'm there, you know, with all that stuff, and I think I had eight bottles hanging on the tree that were going into me because I used to count and see how many more we could get on there. And sometimes I had to have two trees just to hold all the bottles. But So they're pumping you with this stuff, and the little pump's going, you know. I remember about eight, and I thought, this is good. I think I win the record here on the ward. And this, this worker, in, uh, one of the workers there came to me and said, uh, I understand you're a pastor. And I think she was a lady that worked in the, in the custodial services. I said, yes, I, I am. She said, 
Well, would you pray for me? She walked in. Pretty amazing. She was walking. I wasn't walking anywhere. And I thought, uh, let me think a minute. Do I want to pray for, for this woman? I can't, I can't pray for myself. I mean, I am shot. And, of course, I said, well, yes, how, how can I do that? And so she told me a little bit of a story that was very difficult that she was going through. And she asked if I would pray for it. Then I said I would. Then she kneels by my bed, you know, with the, the prayer thing. She kneels down there like this and does this kind of thing and, and kind of bows her head and kind of waiting for the pastor laying there on the bed to pray for her. So I'm trying to think, and chemo is a wonderful thing. It creates all kinds of things in your brain, and uh, it makes you think kind of strange from time to time, and I think it's one of the benefits that keep coming to you over and over and over again. And uh, so I prayed for the woman. And I have no idea what I prayed. I have no idea. I, have, I don't even know if I was nuts or straight. I, I don't know. But I prayed for the lady. And uh, that, she said, thank you so much. And she simply slipped out. At your lowest point, the greatest opportunities come. Jesus was at his lowest point. I mean, he was tired. Forty days out in that wilderness thing. Walking six hours that day. Very thirsty. And then this woman comes up. And, uh, and this encounter begins. And he needed water. He needed a lot of water. The seventh verse says, will you give me a drink? So he asked, would you give me a drink? I have nothing to get into the well to get fresh water. Henry Nouwen says in The Wounded Healer that, uh, that it is the suffering servant that ministers most not the reigning king. And in, in, in Nouwen's view of the suffering servant in, in this particular work that he did and several other pieces that he did, he talks about the, being at the lowest point and really being the most effective. And, and that's what it was for Jesus that day. And so that moment, uh, Jesus crossed the racial line. He crossed the, the, the cultural line. He crossed the religious line. He, he, he crossed the gender line. Uh, which was probably one of the most significant lines there was in those days, was the, the gender line. And he crossed the, the educated and the uneducated, the haves, the have-not. He crossed all those lines, and he simply asked, would you give me something to drink? Now look at that ninth verse in that, in that passage. It says this, The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Let me give you a contemporized uh, uh, version of that. We Samaritans are the dirt under your feet until you want something. And then we're good enough. So what do you want from me? A body? A money? What do you want? Jews don't ask Samaritan women for things unless they get something. Quid pro quo. What do you need from me? What are you asking for? One commentator suggested that his response was flir- to her was flirtatious. But he kept driving it home. He stayed on track. He didn't get off. He didn't take the bait. He kept pr- 
probing the question that the woman really was asking. And he knew, uh, he knew her heart. He knew this woman. See, what he did was he had an answer for her life, and she yet didn't recognize who he was. And a lot of the people that we talk to about our faith, you know, they, they don't even know what they need. And yet they're going to test whether you're really believing what you believe before they'll even consider taking that for themselves. They're, they're going to push you on that, and they should. Isn't it funny how we do so many weird and strange things? We, like, we say to people, well, listen, if you'll look like a Christian, if you'll act like a Christian, if you'll give money like a Christian, and if you'll dress like a Christian, you can come to our church, and then you can be saved. I remember as a kid going to the mission down in Los Angeles, and, and it was always kind of interesting. The person who would preach would preach. They didn't feed anybody yet. So the homeless would come in. They would sit there, and trust me, no one was paying attention except the three little kids that were called the Coulter, Coulter kids sitting on the front row because of where our parent was there. So we were paying attention, sort of. And uh, wiggling as we were, we, we would wait through the whole thing, and then Dad or somebody would preach. And after they got to preaching and had an altar call and they did all that stuff, then they would open up the kitchen. And, of course, then the homeless people would wake up, and they would get to the kitchen. And I thought about that. I didn't think about it much at the time because I was well-fed. I mean, I didn't care how they did it. Thinking about it today, I thought, that was kind of backwards. People are hungry. If you're hungry, feed them. And while you feed them, have a conversation. Find out who they are. Find out who their family is. Find out where they came from. Find out what their needs are. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't put a requirement on the woman before he would talk to her. He just simply said, can I have a drink of water? She responded, and he says, but I can give you even something greater than that. He didn't ask her to change her lifestyle. That wasn't the question. Nowhere in the text does he ask her to change her lifestyle. And boy, she had a lifestyle. I mean, this girl, she's pretty well known. Later on in the text, of course, the question is asked, well, bring your husband. No, I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. What do you mean you know? Well, the guy you're, you're with now is not your husband, neither, but you already got rid of five of them. How do you know those things? I just do. Oh, you're a prophet. Hey, and she runs into town and tells everybody, you've got to hear this guy. He can tell you things. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of humor in that because I have this sneaky suspicion that this woman, now think about it, town prostitute, how many guys does she know that have had a relationship with her who are religious, who are, you know, in the, in the religion of, of, their, of their day. And I'm sure she said, listen, everybody come on out. I want you to hear this guy. And she's thinking, <laughs> he went ahead and told about the five guys I was married to, the guy that I'm living with now that I'm not married to. And he told me that, oh, I can't wait till he starts talking about the rest of them. Man, this is going to be amazing. And they all come out to hear but he doesn't do that. He didn't do that. He tells him about living water, a spring of living water. Jesus crossed all the lines. Every line you could think of, he crossed. The second fill-in is getting past the barriers and finding common ground. 
The common ground was water to start with, but the common ground was their mutual humanity. And the common ground was that he knew that this woman had an empty soul. And he wanted it to be filled with water, fresh water, a spring of living water. And he wanted to break down the walls that divided not only their ethnicity or their gender or their social class. He wanted to break down a wall that separated people. And any time we have walls that separate people, God is not happy. And when we break them down, he gets excited. And we're so, it's so much a part of our culture. Somebody told me the other day they used the, they were, they used the N-word, which, you know, is not in our vocabulary anymore. It was at a time, but it is no longer in our vocabulary. And I can't, and I thought about that a little while, and I thought, that is so offensive to me now. I didn't always think of it that way. But it is offensive because it divides us. Anything that divides us is offensive, and it's offensive to God. So he asked, and the freshness, the drink that costs nothing but costs everything was available to her. In Psalms 107 it says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Now I'm going to just kind of read uh, the rest of that text as we pull this thing together. And I just want you to, now get, with that setting, here, here's, here's how it unfolded. I'm going to start at the 13th verse. Here's where Jesus kept it on task. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty. And I won't have to keep coming out here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, that is called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked. No one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, Rabbi, eat something. For they'd gone off to bring food. Then, after they said that, his disciples said, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And then Jesus said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Sometimes in church, people say, I'm not being fed. What they're saying is, I'm not being spoon-fed. That's what they're saying. When you say, well, you know, we're gonna, we, need to, we need to be fed. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, true feeding is to do the will of the Father. If people will ever give me a chance to respond to that question before they wander off someplace then I would like to respond by just reading that passage to them and ask them, what is being fed? Help me to understand that. The way I see it is it has nothing to do with whether you gain a great deal in church or not because the preacher preaches something. It has to do with you serving, giving to others, being vital in the community, being water to those that are thirsty, food to those that are hungry, truth to those that haven't found it. It seems to me that that's what being fed is. And feeding simply means that I'm growing in something. I'm being nourished or I'm nourishing others. I'm either a parent, I'm a, I'm a mentor, or I'm one who's growing myself all together. That's what it means. So I, I get a little bit uh, interested in what is food? Is it pablum? Is it being forced down me? Or is it that I'm supposed to be actively walking with God, serving him and others, and in that being fed I think a pretty good example of that is last week putting that thing up out there in the, in the parking lot. I think that's a good example of being fed. I don't think there's a person there that walked away saying, I'm empty. I think everybody walked away saying, I'm full. What a great, and the more we see that's happening out there, the more we will appreciate the fullness of doing and acting on the will of God. Well, the final thought here is this. What is and where is your Samaria? The church is a redemptive force in the world today. The church is you and it is me. Where's the Samaria? Is it my neighbor? Is it the school down the street? Is it the community I live in? Or is it Jamaica as far away as that might be? Where is your Samaria? For the Samarias to us is not just a geographic area, but the Samarias, the Samarias to all of us is the area where we're not as comfortable. We don't know the people as well. They're different than us. Or we have to accept something about them, or at least in conversation, we have to try to find common ground, which ordinarily we would not have so much in common. That's a Samaria. And where is your Samaria? Who is it? And God has put each and every one of us in a circle somewhere where we have a variety of contacts and a variety of places and people where we can talk, 
with and find common ground and break down barriers. You start actively loving people, the barriers will fall just like a wall in a great earthquake. It'll come down. And the openness will be there to build a relationship. And that's what God asks of each of us. Would you break down a wall this week? Think about a wall. Think about a barrier and think about what your Samaria is. And as we go to ours, you find yours here. And when we get back, we'll have some conversation. All right? Let's pray. Father, for wherever our Samaria is, it could be in our own family. For we may have found little to talk about because of barriers that have been built even in our own relationships. It could be our neighbor. It could be a variety of places and a variety of people. But wherever it is and whatever it requires of us, we would want to be led to that. And may there be an encounter where living water flows from within because of your love, because of your grace, because you care and love every single person. And you've chosen not to allow a barrier to keep us from knowing a person and getting to love them. So thank you for the grace that you give to us that allows us to literally blow through those barriers and walls, to kick those doors down, and to simply embrace one another. And may your spirit invade us with a freshness. We really need it. We want it. We desire it. Fill us, as you did that woman that day, with a spring of living water. Amen. Psalm 24.